Thank you for tuning in to the Free Your Energy podcast. Our mission is to explore conversation, stories, ideas, and information that can help us tap into our highest vibration. Energy is our thoughts, our actions, our way of life. Let's get to this episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast. Today's episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast is brought to you by Organifi. Go to Organifi.com slash Sly, S-L-Y, to get 20% off your next order. How do we take that first step to choose to heal? Yeah, that's such a good you know, word that you, you focused on in a good question because it, it, is an, it is an interesting word, you know, choose. And I don't want to say that people are out there on some level actively choosing not to heal, but like you just said, there may not be the awareness. Um, there may be fear blocking and in the way, um, there may be, you know, trauma triggers popping up. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think people are saying like, absolutely, no, I'm not going to heal and be the best version of myself. Right. But, <laughs> right, right. you know, you're, you're, you're talking to and, and looking at, you know, someone that has avoided my own healing numerous times in my life. Um, and, and so sometimes we stumble into it, we fall into it because it's more painful to stay where we're at. And so it, you know, if we're in a painful position and it's more uncomfortable to stay where we currently are, then, you know, we're naturally maybe going to stumble into choosing to go that other route and choosing to heal. But we can also choose to actively say, you know what, maybe I'm not the happiest, maybe I'm not the healthiest, maybe my life isn't um, looking like I would like it to in, in each area or all areas or one area. And I'm going to choose to face those fears, face that pain. Um, I'm going to choose to be uncomfortable and say, you know, this might hurt, this might be uncomfortable, but I want that delayed gratification. I want that outcome. So I'm going to put the work in, you know, just like, just like going to the gym. If I want to lose 20 pounds, I can't go once a month and expect to drop that 20 pounds. I'm going to have to put the work in daily and it can be hard work. And, but you know, it, it is a choice of, um, am I, am I going to be vulnerable? Am I going to be uncomfortable? Because that is part of the journey. Is there a an end point to healing? You know, sometimes you you heal and you're on this journey. How do you know that it's working? How do you know that you're getting better, that you're improving? What are what are some of the the other side of healing? What does that look like? Yeah, I think I think um one of one of the big things that we can notice is that maybe we're not getting triggered uh by things from our past and on as often or to as high of a degree as we may used to in the past. So, you know, maybe something triggered us or bothered us and our anger shot up to a, you know, 10 out of 10 over these kind of incidents. And as we're on that journey and we're working hard to heal and to grow, you know, I'll have clients come back to me and say, you know, this happened. And, you know, two months ago, I would have done X, Y, and Z, and I would have been a 10 out of a 10. And, you know, it bothered me still, but I was more a 5 out of 10, and I let it go. You know, you'll start seeing that things don't necessarily have to be um, 
as big and as difficult, not that life is ever smooth sailing, you know, constantly 24 seven, but we're learning to cope from it. We're learning about ourselves, who we are, and hopefully we're learning, you know, to feel better about and love ourselves, give ourselves self-care, you know, and so that the things that come at us and the things that are difficult in life, they'll keep coming, but they might not be as difficult. Right. It's like they, they keep coming, but then you'll have more tools, you know, because you have the experience practicing. Um, you mentioned clients. Tell us about your practice. What What is it like? You know, what type of people are you working with? You know, what's a day-to-day like for, for you? Yeah. So I love what I do. It's amazing. You know, I'm so grateful that I get to do what I do and work with so many incredible people. So, you know, I'll see individuals, couples, families, um, working with a lot of anxiety, a lot of trauma, depression, um, and then just the people that want to take it to the next level. Like maybe there isn't necessarily a huge issue, but they're wanting to grow um, with themselves, with their marriage, with their career. They just want a next level. They want to be the best versions of themselves. So, you know, people come in from all across the board, all different walks of life for anything and everything. Um, and so it's, it's incredible, you know, no matter where you're at, we all at any point, we got something to work on every single one of us. You don't have to have major trauma or major issues or problems to want to heal and grow and, and go to the next level. Okay, so you you use the word anxiety. I think that that's a good entry point because I think a lot of people have struggles, you know, with different forms and experiences with anxiety. So maybe we could just root there for a second and maybe you could just tell us what anxiety is and maybe some coping skills to to deal with it as it comes up. Because I try to tell people that having an anxious moment is actually like a normal thing. But for some people, it's doesn't feel normal or it feels overwhelming or too much. Right. And so I'm wondering what, you know, what's your entry point there and what's like the, some coping skills that we could use to deal with anxiety when it comes up. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's so needed, um, in our society and our world to talk about it right now. You know, um, I don't, gosh, how many years I've been doing this for a long time, but, you know, I worked at Drake university for a while on the college campus. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, I have seen a spike in the number of clients coming for anxiety over the last few years. Just it's increased, you know, a huge amount. And that's how it is in our society, in our, in our world. Um, and I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, you know, social media, we, we get too much too fast, you know, with internet and all the things, pros and cons, but every single person experiences anxiety. It's necessary. It's the thing that, you know, lights the fire under our butt. If, you know, that, you know, makes us a tigress chasing us, we got to go, right? You got, or, or it's what makes us um, study for a test and prepare for it, having a little bit of anxiety around it. So anxiety in itself is natural and we all have it, but it becomes a problem if it goes beyond that, more severe than that, higher than that. Um, and it shows up in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. So, um, you know, it can show up in physical symptoms. It can go from, oh, I'm just kind of like having a hard time, like, 
getting my thoughts straight, focusing. Um, I have a lot of worries, a lot of fears. My thoughts are going really fast and, and it can go to panic attacks, you know, extremes where it's like, I can't breathe. I could end up in, in the ER thinking, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack um, at a more severe level. And then there's, you know, all kinds of different anxiety. There's generalized anxiety, there's phobias, you know, there's uh, social anxieties, there's testing anxieties, flying anxieties, you know. So um, it, it looks and shows up a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, it's going to be when we start to fear and worry about things that are either in the future or out of our control. So we want to get good at learning, you know, what's behind this anxiety, where does it come from? And some, you know, there's always that nature nurture, some of it, it, we could be genetically prone, you know, we're going to be a more, you know, high anxiety person, as opposed to maybe I'm, I don't get depressed, I get anxious more often, or, you know, there's also the combination. So some of it is genetically, what, how did we come out wired, you know, where we were born a certain way, and then some of it is going to be life experiences and mindset system, belief systems that we've developed over our life and held on to and maybe got stuck in. That's interesting. One of my really, really close friends, he used to deal with a lot of social anxiety. And I was one of his, you know, safe people. He would go out with me. He would he would be fine with me. He wouldn't really experience it a whole lot with me. But with a lot of his other friends, he would experience social anxiety. And I remember at the peak of it, I asked him, I said, so how come you know, you're comfortable going out with me or, you know, being in public with me. And he goes, well, I don't feel like you're judging me. And I'm not, I, like, I, I wasn't, I didn't, didn't care at all. And so I remember asking him, I said, do you feel like the other people, you know, that you're not necessarily out with, but just in this space, do you feel like they're judging you? And he was like, yeah, I feel like they're, they're looking at me. Like, keep in mind, like, you know, when we're going to restaurants or we're going to movie theater, uh, he lives in Miami. So we used to go for walks all the time down by, uh, by the, by the um, Wynwood area. It's like an art district in Miami. And so he's like, yeah, I just feel like everyone's like kind of looking at me. And I just used to always tell him, I'm like, man, nobody's looking at you. <laughs> like nobody even notices you. Like, you know, unless you walk directly in front of them or, you know, you're crossing paths. Like other than that, like people don't even notice you. So a couple years went by and he was working on his social anxiety and he called me and he's like, hey, I just need to let you know I don't have social anxiety anymore. And I'm like, okay, so what happened? Like, you know, and he ended up losing about 25 pounds. So I think his self-image is one of the things that changed. His self-care, his habits changed. But in the process of losing the weight, he also lost the identity connected to the weight. And he realized, like, these people aren't looking at me at all. And that the words that I had told him a few years earlier is pretty much the exact same thing he said is that he recognized, you know, he was living by a particular story. And when he disassociated from that story, he changed his personal reality, he changed his identity. And so, I don't know, I just thought that that was so interesting to see someone cure themselves of, and this was extreme social anxiety that he had. Like extreme, he didn't have a driver's license at that point, you know, and then he, once he lost the weight and went on that journey, he ended up getting a driver's license. He ended up getting a car. He used to have anxiety to drive, to go out, to date girls. He used to have anxiety to have sex, to do anything in public, public speaking. And it's just beautiful to watch him transform 
you know, over the years just by changing his identity. So when you get someone in your office and you recognize, you know, I, I was reading in your book that you take them through a pretty big discovery where you try to discover like their timeline, the timeline of their problem. These are the things you were talking about in their book. Uh, have they had uh, therapy before? What is what trauma they had? You go through like this really big discovery. Could you tell us a little bit more about like that discovery process and some of the things that you're looking for as you're getting to know them? Yes. Cause that, like you mentioned, that's all laid out in my book is like my go-to approach, basically what the book is like, this is my step-by-step approach. This is how I handle and tackle, you know, problems and concerns, no matter what it is with anybody. And just like your, you know, the story you shared of your friend, that's kind of, um, central to my practice is that's, that's kind of my bread and butter of identifying what is that negative belief system? You know, you called it identity that, you know, can be one in the same. Um, what is that negative belief system that you're holding about yourself that is getting in the way and causing problems in your life? And how can we identify that and reprocess that? And so you're right. Um, I go through a really, really thorough assessment process with everybody. Um, who are you? What brought you here? Your medical history, your family, your parents, your siblings, what was school like? Friends, dating. I mean, everything. You're right. Trauma. Um, how do you take care of yourself? What are your coping skills? Because all of these things over the years have created your identity and, and who how you feel about yourself and what stories you've told yourself about yourself and how the world works. So I need to know them all. I really need to know them all, you know? Um, and so that's, that's step one. And I really, it's really important to me to bring in mind, body, spirit and integrate those. Um, you know, and and take a holistic approach. So I want to examine different environments in somebody's life, their work, their career, their finances, their, you know, um, their spirituality, all of the things, their home life and, and bring that into, and I want that solid foundation. Let's get you good coping skills. Let's get you eating well, exercising well, that mind body connection that, you know, the gut health, there's, there's the three brains, your brain, your heart, and your gut. They've got to be aligned. They've all got to be working well. And when we have that foundation, that solid foundation of some good wellness and, and coping skills and patterns in your life that are good and healthy, we can deep dive further into what you were talking about and those negative beliefs and that mindset of who am I and how do I feel about myself? So in, in TV and in movies, therapy is often, uh, you go and you just lay on this couch <laughs> and you know, there's like this fancy person there wearing a nice suit or a nice dress and they're, they got their notebook out and they're taking notes. Like that's how we see it in the movies. And what you're saying is what you're most concerned with is the patterns and the behaviors that you're currently exhibiting, as well as um, the story and identity of, of your life. And then you're br- bringing that together. You mentioned mind, body, and spirit, which is one of the themes of your book. And then there's another thing you mentioned, gut health in the three brains. Uh, maybe this is two different questions, but could you go deeper into mind, body, and spirit? And could you go deeper into the three brains and the gut health? 
Yeah, they they are different and they're the same at the same time in the sense that like, you know, when we're talking about both those areas, they're all interconnected. You know, um, a lot of our, our, our modern medical model here um, is everything separated. You know, you go to your primary doctor for this, you go to your chiropractor for this, you go to your um, you know, psychiatrist for this, you go, you know, everything's separated. You have all these different doctors. Um, and, and they're not necessarily working together or promoting themselves or looking at the big picture and they're isolating. And, you know, my struggle with that oftentimes, and, and this is not to talk negatively about any doctors or any providers by any means, they're doing what they're trained they're doing, they're saving lives, right? Um, but my struggle with the approach or the model is that um, oftentimes when we're separated like that, we are treating the symptom and we're ignoring the cause. And, and that's not okay. That is absolutely not okay. You know, if, if somebody's struggling and, and again, I am not opposed to meds, you know, medications for mental health or anything like that. However, they are generally my last resort unless the situation is severe because I want to know a baseline. And I want to know the cause. I don't want to just give a medication that covers up the symptom and then we don't understand how it developed and what we can do to um, you know, actually treat it as opposed to just treating the symptoms. Um, so they're all interconnected. If I'm, if I'm treating my body well and I'm getting good sleep, I'm working out, I'm moving my body, I'm eating good, healthy foods, I'm staying away from processed foods, then that that mind-body, my brain is going to work better. It's going to have what it needs to have clear thoughts. You know, maybe if I'm not eating too much sugar, then I don't have crashes and then I don't get moody and irritability, irritable. If I'm not drinking too much alcohol, then I'm, I'm not groggy, sluggish, my memory's down, you know, um, all the things that we put into our body severely impact our mood, our mental health. And that can go both ways. You want to feel better. You eat healthier foods. You know, um, you wonder why you don't have energy. You're moody. You're sad. You're depressed. Watch what you're eating. You know, and I'm not saying it's always a hundred percent of that. It's just a big impact. It's a huge impact. So that's why I want people to take care of their body in the beginning so that I can see how much of this is what you're putting into your body and how you're treating your body and how much of this is, you know, something genetically or something going on in your life, you know, how much is mental health? Because so many times people come in here with mental health symptoms that are, they're actually, you know, physical things that are showing up like that. And it goes both ways. You know, we can have mental health struggles that are going to show up in irritable bowel syndrome, you know, aches and pains in our bodies. They're interconnected. They go both ways. So I need to look at every area to know what we're actually working with here. I don't want to say, oh yeah, let's, let's treat that depression when really if we would just stop eating fast food and drinking alcohol and, and drugging every night, we might not have that issue, right? So you just cannot look at one without the other and get the best results. Yeah, I hear you. I feel like holistic health is like the only way to look at at the body. I mean, to look at life, you know, like for me as a former athlete, I think about when I see a game, uh, a team loses a game and most fans, they'll be like, oh, this team lost because of this one play that happened. Right. But that's not why. <laughs> That's not why. You didn't lose because of one play. There was probably about 20 or 30 other plays, which is, let's just say, a decision, 20 or 30 other decisions 
that put that team in that position to take an L. And so I often think about my life in that way. When I take L's, it's like, what are the 20 or 30 decisions I made before, you know, that got me there? And I remember the very last time that I feel uh, like I was depressed. I remember how I was living. My self-care routine and my habits were way off. Sleep being number one was way off for for me personally. Uh, The food that I was eating, way off. There would be days I would just eat once. And it wasn't like I was eating enough calories for the day. It would literally just be one meal because I was so busy working and grinding that I just forgot to eat. And then I got myself in this slump where I'm like, wow, I feel depressed. It's like, well, no wonder. And and this is not me naming anyone else's depression. I'm just naming the last time I experienced it. And for me, it was literally because of my own choices. And so there was like a break that I had to break in my identity because I was overworking myself. You know, I had to break my identity. Like, why do I have to be the guy that's overworking itself? You know, so overworking, overwhelmed, that's obviously a thing that we're dealing with in this generation. You know, now that, you know, people are working from home, taking on loads of work more than, more than they should. Uh, educate, educators and teachers doing way more than they're supposed to, having to take their work home to great work. And, you know, it's just a thing, you know, where, you know, managers and upper level people having their work phone with them at home, at, din- at the dinner table. This has been a great episode of the Free Your Energy podcast, and we're not done. I wanted to take a second to pause and to thank today's sponsor, Organifi. If you're like me, you know the importance of eating healthy, but you don't always have the time or willpower to cook all the colors of the rainbow. Organifi's superfood blend makes it easy and enjoyable to add more variety and nutrition to your day. These are delicious organic powders you can add to water, stir with a spoon, and enjoy it anytime for more energy, more nutrition, hormone balance, and peace of mind. They're a great way to start your morning, energize your afternoon, and nourish your evening. Because you are a loyal listener of the Free Your Energy podcast, Organifi is going to give you 20% off your next order. Go to Organifi.com slash Sly, S-L-Y, and get 20% off. Again, that's Organifi.com slash Sly, S-L-Y, and get your 20% off. Let's get back to this episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. How do we draw some boundaries with the overwhelm? How do we get ourselves recentered to where our workload is, a, is fulfilling and it's enough, but it's not so much that we're breaking our back and breaking ourselves? Yeah, it's a good and important question. And it's, it's, it's a very individual one, you know, um, that's going to look different for each person. And it may look differently at each phase of life as well. You know, where I was able to balance certain things in my life um, prior to two little four-year-olds, you know, and, um, work and all the things is different than to how I can balance it now. You know, my time and energy is different than it was. So we gotta, we gotta recognize that. So a big part of the, how do we do that is knowing 
who am I? What works for me? You know, what, what patterns and routines are good and healthy for me? And what's my, what are my limits and what brings me joy? You know, um, somebody might enjoy working a little bit more than the next person, or somebody might enjoy a a different kind of balance. Maybe they like part-time, someone else might enjoy a certain amount of socializing and somebody else might not need it at all. So that's very individual, but you know, I kind of come back to the the word balance and moderation, it, it, everything in, in balance and everything in moderation, knowing that that's like impossible to perfectly achieve and maintain all of the time. But kind of those little self-assessments, check-ins, like, you know, have, you know, check in mind, body, spirit in each different environment. Have I been attending to um, my workouts, my physical movement? Have I been, you know, checking in with my friends? Have I been social or have I been isolating? Um, what I, what kind of hours am I putting in? You know, I personally don't think, you know, I do, I, I think that the, like you said, in our society, that that hustle and grind is a very unhealthy one. We already probably work um, too much in our society. Uh, then, then I don't like to wor- use the word should, but that what's good for us in general, um, you know, because at the end of the day, what makes people happy is to love, feel loved, be connected. And you don't get that from work. Now we can, we can, we can experience, you know, creativity and drives and passions that are also very important too. But if it's, you know, taken up the majority of our life and we're not connecting and we're not loving and and feeling loved, there won't be a good balance. So again, individual, but it's about, it's about balancing and everything in moderation. One, one thing that I often struggle with when I'm listening to people talk is just their perception of work. You know, for me, my, my idea has always been that you should like your job. I know that it's common to say you should love what you do. And I think that you should at least like it. And I think that if you hate it, you got to go. But I think if you like it, I think that there's just a little bit more leeway in there because there's parts of your job that you can love, but then there can also be parts of it that you don't like at all. And I feel like that that balances that balances it to, you know, I like it. You know, I like it. It's good. It's, you know, I don't love every single element, but there's parts of it that I really do love. You know, like for example, like at my job, I love doing, you know, chats like this. I don't love editing it, which is why I have an editor. You know, I don't love posting it online because I don't even like logging in, which is why I have someone to help me post stuff online. So it's like, in my profession, I've been able to find the actual things that I really, really like and and just focus on those. It's ta- it, take, it took me a long time and a lot of jobs, you know? Yeah. Um, for the person who is at a job that they don't like at all, maybe even they hate it, but the attachment to it is obviously it's giving them money, which is helping them with their lifestyle, helping them with their life. How do you work with that person? What do you, what do you tell them? Do you, do you push them to, to leave and to do something that they like? Do you, you know, what are your words for that person? I'm thinking back to balance and, and counterbalance. Um, I would need to know way, way more about the rest of their life, right? Like if, if your job is just like, it's okay, but I don't love it. But your marriage and your family and your friends and your social life and your activities, I mean, counterbalance it and then some, 
it, it might, you might be okay. Maybe we just have to work on challenging some, some thoughts and, and perspective of how you, how you're looking at things, or maybe it's mm. prepping and preparing to have conversations with coworkers or bosses that might make that setting and environment a little bit better for you. Um, you know, but it, if you're miserable, I, I will say life is too short. You know, if you're absolutely miserable and it, it's, carrying over into your personal life and it's affecting you, you're, you know, it's causing anxiety and depression. I'm not saying right off the bat, you got to go, but I'm saying we got to start talking about how do we take action and what that looks like for that person. So again, way more that I would need to know about that person Mm -hmm. and what's going on in their life, but life is too short to stay stuck and keep doing the same thing when we're miserable. Let's take little baby steps to start inching into a direction that's just a little less miserable. <laughs> right. <Start. laughs> just, just just walk out of the misery, all right? Just take a step a day out of the misery. Let's one get out time. of there. One step. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it, you just gave me like the image of like, you know, in those horror movies when like the bad guy is chasing you, but, but you're running full speed and he's just walking like Michael Myers. And he's like, he knows like, Hey, I'm going to get you sooner or later. I'm going to get to you. Like, that's the image I got of, of, of us just, just taking steps. Like we're going to get there. (laughs) Okay. So what you just said made me think of page 69. Yeah. Page 69 of your book. You use the phrase, do you have your book with you? I do. Yeah, yeah. You ha- you use the phrase, uh, healthy thinking. And I've never, ever heard that before, like healthy thinking. Ah. So talk to us about healthy thinking, because like in that situation we just talked about, you know, the person who maybe they're miserable at their job, but their life is gr- pretty great outside of that. It's possible that in their situation, they may not have healthy thinking with this particular environment. So talk to us about healthy thinking, um, how we can use that, how we can bring that into our framework. Yeah. So it's kind of along the idea of the the mindset, um, the negative belief patterns that we develop, like how I think and feel about myself and who I am. But this is kind of a little bit broader in the sense of my tendencies um, to think in a certain way. For example, um, things like black and white or all or nothing thinking. Some people have a tendency to not have that gray area. It's all this or it's all that. There's no way around it. Their thinking is very rigid. Um, and, and some um, there's pros and cons to every, you know, way we think, but these, these, these developed, like, um, these are kind of tend to be unhealthy, more flexible thinking, being a little more flexible, um, looking at it different perspectives is generally healthier. And when I say healthier, just the studies show the studies, right? They say, but you know, there are studies out there that show when we have a little bit more flexibility, we are happier. We're less stressed. We're less angry. Um, there can be thinking patterns like catastrophizing, which is like something like the ten- tendency to take what could be a small or average situation and kind of blowing it up. Like it's the end of the mm-hmm. world. This is life or death. Um, there could be avoidance, you know, uh, there could be, um, there's, there's a handful of different, uh, categorized negative unhealthy thinking patterns. And it's helpful to identify 
you know, what, what is my tendency? Do I go into all or nothing thinking or do I catastrophize? Sometimes people minimize, you know, maybe something really should, you know, they're, I'm using the word should again, but maybe it'd be helpful if people would look at things, but they ignore them and make them smaller and minimize them and don't tend to them. So it's helpful to kind of watch your habits of your thinking patterns and, and being able to identify, oh, I do that a lot, or I tend to look at things this way, you know, like think of pessimistic or optimistic, things like that. Because then if we identify it at the very least, you know, step one, we identify the thinking pattern that we fall into most often, we can start catching ourselves in the act, you know, in labeling it, mm. you know, name it to tame it idea like, oh, I'm catastrophizing again. And then when I catch myself doing that, I can start to challenge that and say, you know, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal because here's X, Y, and Z, another way to look at it, right? But if we don't even know we're doing it or we don't even, you know, pay attention and try to catch on and catch ourselves, we're just going to keep doing it and we're going to keep being frustrated with ourselves or mad or sad or, or whatever. Language is so important because uh, it helps us shape our identity, our perspective. And I noticed that you are, there's like an aversion to use the word should. Tell us more about that. Why are you, why are you trying to find different language around should? Yeah, I think it's one that we throw out there a lot. And, it, it, you know, it, it's a, it's really limiting and telling, it, it's almost like good or bad. You should do this. So if you should do this, that means that you shouldn't do that. And so if you do that, you're wrong and bad. And if you should do this, that's good and right. And that's just not the way that life works all the time. Like we said, there's the, those gray areas. Um, so I don't ever want to tell somebody what they should do because I'm not the expert on anyone but myself. You know, I, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're feeling. I don't know what's the best and healthiest for their life specifically. I can ha I can guide and give like, hey, you know, eating well, sleeping well, you know, these things are good for most people, but I can't tell anybody what they should do in their life in any specific situation because I am not them. I am not in their shoes. I'm not experiencing that. But, you know, if you switch the language a little bit, because it's also kind of judgmental, right? It, I'm, I'm judging the situation and I'm saying, I know what you should do. How can I? You know, I'm not that person. I'm not God. So, it, you know, when you, you shift the language and you say it might be beneficial to, or maybe what if you look at it like this, this could help. It, it brings on a whole different meaning and experience. And then hopefully that person doesn't feel judged and we're not making it right, wrong, good or bad. Mm. It seems like a, a much warmer imitation, uh, invitation as well. You know, if I, I just think of while you were talking, I was thinking of my youngest self when I was in high school. And when I had, I was deep in my trauma bonds and my wounds and just, I didn't have the emotional regulation, you know, that I have now. Like when I felt anger, everybody around me knew I was angry. And that was coming out of trauma, dealing with everything I was dealing with, you know. And I, I pictured that that little boy and, you know, someone telling me, well, you shouldn't respond like that. And it's like, well, how do you know how I should respond? <laughs> like right. you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm up against every day, you know? And so I, I picture that that young boy, like if I was talking to that man and I this version of me, the version of me who's worked through all that pain and trauma and, you know, I have emotional regulation now. I feel like if I spoke to him, 
I would say exactly what you said. Like it would be so beneficial if you didn't react that way. It would it would benefit you so much if you could find a moment to take a breath and recenter yourself and come back to your body. The thing that you're getting angry about, you have a right to be angry about it. But I'm curious if there's a better behavior that you could choose versus yelling or screaming or running away or lashing out. Like I wonder if there's something else available to you. You know, and I don't know. I don't know if he will listen to me, <laughs> but I know that that approach, he might, he might listen, you know, he might listen to me with that approach. It's likely to be better received. We'll <laughs> what he does with it, that's on him. <laughs> okay. So outside of um, being a, a therapist in Iowa, what are some of your passions and some of your hobbies, some of the things that, that make you you that's not your work? Yeah. You know, the work and my passions and hobbies, they do overlap. I'm I'm kind of, you know, I am my own self-help junkie in the sense of I'm always looking like, how can I be better? How can I improve? How can I be healthier? How can, you know, next version of myself and what does that look like? And I have fun with that trial and error of like, is yoga my thing? Is, um, you know, uh, is this type of food my thing? You know, I, I have fun trying those things out and, and learning those things about myself. And then obviously, hopefully reaping some of the rewards from that process as well to try to be the next, you know, better version of myself and learn and grow. And that, that desire to learn and grow carries over to anything, you know, um, I just really like to try new things so that I like to be active. I like to be physical. I like to be outside, um, outdoors, um, with people, you know, um, I'm kind of more of an introvert, so I don't have to be with people all of the time, but I do like, you know, to make sure that I am connecting and socializing. But I would say the learning new things, being physically active and getting outdoors um, are are up there, you know, at the at the very highest of who I am and what I like to do. Um, gosh, who am I? That's such a big question, though, too. So, sure, I'm leaving a lot out there. Hopefully, that answered it. <laughs> As a mother of two twins, what has been the biggest challenge uh, with having two kids the same age? You know. And what has been the biggest reward out of the experience thus far? Ooh, I think that's something new and different every day. Um, but it is, it's a lot to juggle and balance. Who am I? You know, what was challenging in their first few years was like, okay, new identity of, you know, here's Carrie pre-kids, here's Carrie as a mom, you know, and what does that look like? And, and even, you know, getting back into my body, you know, finding my body physically again, um, and redefining identity. Who am I? What does that look like? And so struggles is like different at each phase of their life and mine. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a lot, it's a lot to balance. It's a lot to take care of myself. It's a lot to take care of my kids. It's a lot to check in and take care of my husband. It's a lot to 
um, take care of my business. It's a lot to juggle. It's so much and it can be overwhelming and it's never going to be perfect and nothing's ever, ever going to always be done. And as somebody that has like aired more towards the perfectionist side, um, that, you know, I continue to try to get away from and kids, you know, certainly help that, um, you know, though the balancing of it all and trying not to get too stressed and overwhelmed and thinking I have to do it all perfectly because I'm never going to be perfect in all of those areas at once. Um, and then a struggle, another struggle is I don't, besides marriage, I don't think, you know, there's any other area between marriage and kids that holds up that mirror to you of who you are and, and what you're showing the world and how you're showing up as when I hear my kids repeat things that I've said or, (laughs) you know, or their mannerisms or, you know, and I see me in them, good and bad, right? So, you know, they're holding up that mirror. And so that is a struggle. But those are also all the joys because then I can learn and I can grow and I get to see them, you know, and experience their life and, and, you know, vicariously through them and all the joys and the wonderments of, you know, all the new and first things at their ages. And um, also pros and cons to the fact that they're the same age and, I catch myself comparing, you know, which is, which I don't want to do. I don't want to compare them. They're two different people, but when they're the exact same age, you know, it's like, Oh, this one's doing this one. This one's not, you know? And, um, so that, that's something I've worked on to not compare. And then it's also a joy to see their little, you know, personalities coming out differently. So differently when same age, same parents, same house, and they're such different people. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> give me give me an example of the different personalities. Like, how did they handle something differently? Oh, yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because, you know, let's say jumping into like ice skating we did the other day or, you know, trying new things. You know, one of them will just go for it. And then the other one will be more cautious. Um, and then, you know, one of them, he's just a little more like, active and he like wants to run around and he's always doing, you know, things and he's always busy. And then the other one is like, he's cool with, he pick up his tablet and just chill on the couch and, you know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, they're, they're different interests, but for yeah. the most part, they get along really well. Um, they that's good. That's good. <laughs> they still get along really well. So it's good. So what about the parents who are listening to, to our chat today? And there are the parents who I would, I would consider probably most of the listeners to fit into this box. Obviously not all will, but I'm just guessing here um, based from the people that I've talked to who have listened to the podcast. Uh, they're the type of parents who, like you, you know, they're trying their best to show up in their their, their marriage, their, as a parent, in their profession and, and friendships. They're really trying to just be the best they can be. Um, you know, they're trying to be aware of how they're treating them, themselves, how they're talking to their kids and, you know, trying to eat well. They're trying to do all the things, you know. And let's just admit, it's hard on days, right? Yes. You know, what do you say to those parents who, you know, they're they're having a moment where they're just, they're struggling. Maybe they're feeling like the work that they're doing is not enough or it's not good enough. What are your words to them? First of all, you are not alone. You are not alone. Every one of us out there, you know, feels that. Um, on any given day or 500 times a day, um, you're not alone. But I think, I think the 
strongest message that I would want to give is, you know, having and giving yourself grace and kindness and compassion. You know, we will never be perfect. And if we try for it, we're going to be, you know, we're going to let ourselves down. We're going to be stressed. We're going to be overwhelmed. Um, just aim for a high average, you know, and, and know that <laughs> perfection isn't going to be a thing. So give yourself grace and kindness because you're going to mess up and you're going to mess up again. And that's life. We just want to be able to bounce back from it and learn from it, you know, and, and really at the end of the day, the best thing, you know, as a parent that we can give to ourselves and for our kids is to take care of ourselves and be a happy individual. The happier we are, the better off those kids are. And also the kinder we are to ourselves and the more we give ourselves grace, the more they will do that for themselves as well. They're, they're picking up all those things. So you just model the behavior to the best of your ability. And when you screw up, you screw up, you, you know, and you apologize and you say, oh, I did that wrong. And we, we bounce back. You know, I say that like it's so easy. It's not easy. So, you know, if anything, just focus on that, like giving yourself grace and, and compassion. 